where is my home? Well, I suppose it's the town of Charlottesville, Virginia, where I intend to stay uh, until either I pass away or am abducted by space aliens. Today, something new, something old, something different, something very much the same, but something everyone has been waiting with bated breath to hear. Join us as we talk about the history of this podcast namesake, the history of Fred. Sir, good morning. We've been talking a lot about history, history of the law and the military, history of the JAG Corps, history of the U.S. Army as a whole. Uh, so as we get ready for the holidays, wanted to share something with our listeners a little bit more unique, uh, unique to the man behind the podcast, and that is the history of you, the history of Fred. And, and so I, I kind of want to start with a simple question, which is, where are you from and where's the closest thing to home for you? Well, good morning, Captain Command, and I guess right up front, I have to say, how can we do this in 10 minutes? <laughs> this I might mean, be a multi-parter, sir. I mean, I've been around for years. Uh, how can we talk about this in 10 minutes? So, <clears throat> but we'll try. So where am I from? I was born in Los Angeles, California. Uh, my father was born in Los Angeles, so I'm actually the real deal, a Californian, Southern Californian. But my dad worked for a steel company, and uh, we moved all over the United States. Uh, I lived in Spokane and Seattle, and then my father was transferred to Amsterdam, the Netherlands. I lived three years in Holland, uh, went to Dutch public schools, and uh, then came back and we settled in Charlotte, North Carolina. So where is my home? Well, I suppose it's the town of Charlottesville, Virginia, where I intend to stay uh, until either I pass away or am abducted by space aliens. <laughs> I, I would not have taken you for a Southern California man, sir. Uh, but what was life like growing up? Uh, uh, were you very young when, when you were in Southern California? Well, I left Southern California when I was five years old. So I really did not grow up in California, although my parents were both Californians. And I think certainly uh, that had an influence uh, in my life. Um, and uh, But when we moved to uh, North Carolina when I was uh, in junior high school, uh, I think that became more formative uh, of my character and who I am today than, than anything. And in North Carolina, do you feel like you the army was something you always wanted to join or always be a part of, or or how does that spark that that idea of of service kind of and first enter your mind? Candidly, I was completely uninterested in the military as a career and was not at all interested in the army. When I was a teenager, the Vietnam War was on, uh, and I wasn't anti-military, but it just didn't interest me at all. However, when I decided to go to Davidson College, which is a small liberal arts school right outside Charlotte, it was uh, so expensive 
at $3,800 a year that I needed some way to pay for it. And the best opportunity was an ROTC scholarship, an Army ROTC scholarship. So just to fast forward to today, $3,800, you're probably thinking, well, this is ridiculous. Davidson today, tuition, fees, room and board, $72,000 a year. So everything's relative, uh, but I needed that Army ROTC scholarship, and I had a four-year scholarship out of high school, uh, and then uh, had a four-year obligation. I went to law school. I took an educational delay, graduated from the University of North Carolina Law School, then came into the JAG Corps. I was only going to do my four years and get out. Uh, but I liked being an Army lawyer so much that I said, well, I'll stay a little bit longer. And so I stayed for 25 years. And was there any, any point before joining the Army where you kind of found yourself at a, at a crossroads or a fork in the road of your life could have gone a completely different path aside from joining the Army? Were there any moments where you thought, hey, maybe this could have been a completely different career than the one I ended on? I always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, from the time I was uh, uh, a child, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but I loved Perry Mason, Raymond Burr, and I always wanted to be a criminal defense attorney or a prosecutor. Uh, and so I, I pretty much was convinced that the law would be a profession for me. That I ended up as an army lawyer, I think, is is really nothing more than I needed money to go to college, and that's how I, I ended up in the Army. This is not that unusual. Those of you who know your history know that Dwight David Eisenhower was completely uninterested in the Army as a career, but he wanted to go to college, and the only place where he could go to college for free was the academy, and that's why Eisenhower ended up at West Point. I think we can all agree that Dwight Eisenhower had a pretty good career as an Army officer. Yeah, and that's a theme we hear over and over again, which is the reasons for joining don't always emulate the reasons for staying in the service. And there's a whole wide spectrum of why people uh, join the service. Um, your first years as a, as a judge advocate, can you take us through those first you know, five to ten years, those early years as, as a JAG? Well, I will do that, but let me make one comment here. Uh, Brigadier General John Cook, long since retired, but someone who I admire very much, once said in a talk here at the Legal Center and School that everyone joins the Army for different reasons, but we all stay for the same reason. And John Cook said it's because we think we can make a difference. And I think that's true. I would add that for me, I stayed because I liked the work. Uh, but I really, really like the people. So just to give you a quick uh, rundown of how different things were, um, I uh, graduated from college in 1976. I graduated from law school in 79. I took an additional year uh, with an educational delay. And then in 1980, it was time to come into the JAG Corps. So I called PPNTO, and I had a telephone conversation with the assignments officer, uh, and this was uh, July of 1980, and uh, I'll never forget, he said to me, well, 
Um, let's talk about where you can go. Uh, how would you like to go to Fort Sill or Fort Hood or Fort Leonard Wood? And I said, well, how about Fort Benning? I hear Fort Benning's a pretty good place. And the answer was, yeah, I've got an opening there. You can go to Fort Benning. And then he said, well, let's talk about when you're going to start. And so we literally looked at a calendar and I decided that I would report for duty at Fort Benning on August 25th, 1980. And that's what I did. I walked in uh, in my khaki uniform. That's what we wore in those days, khakis. And I reported to the staff judge advocate. And that was uh, my first day in the office. But because I had not been to the basic course and was not 27 qualified, I started working in legal assistance. So I stayed because I liked my experience at Fort Benning so much. The staff judge advocate was a very colorful personality. His name was Earl Lassiter, Colonel Lassiter. And uh, he made working and being an Army lawyer so much fun and such an enjoyable experience that I decided to stay uh, after my initial tour. And in fact, Lassiter was the one who arranged for me to go to Vicenza, Italy, as the judge advocate, really what you would probably call the first BCT judge advocate, because the experiment was to put a judge advocate captain organic to an airborne battalion combat team uh, in Vicenza. And so that was my second assignment. Then I went up to Germany to be a senior defense counsel. And that, that second uh, assignment in Vicenza, uh, that's where that now famous photo of a then, I believe, bright-eyed Captain Bork in a uh, nicely shaped maroon beret. I think that's where that comes from. Is that right, sir? That's, that's true. So this was a unique uh, unit. It doesn't exist today. Uh, it was a 1,200-soldier battalion commanded by a lieutenant colonel. The XO was a major, but there was also a deputy commander who was a major, and then the S3 was a major. So we had 1,200 soldiers in the battalion, 60 officers, six companies, uh, three light infantry companies, an organic 105 howitzer battery, a headquarters company, and a combat support company that included uh, bridging assets and a tow. Uh, platoon, um, and its own hospital, and then there was uh, a lawyer and a chaplain. So, as you transition, then uh, you you kind of there there are individuals that come to your life that that leads you to the decision to stay in the JAG Corps, and as you transition to the more senior ranks, the field grade officer ranks in the JAG Corps. What's that trans transition like? Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences at the, the more senior ranks? Well, I think that as you move through the JAG Corps, my observation is that it's all about doing things when you're a captain and you're a, a young field grade, a young major. And for most of us, we're attracted to being a judge advocate, to being an Army lawyer, because you get to do things, whether that's trying cases or helping clients in legal assistance, or perhaps uh, doing actions in contract and fiscal law or administrative law. But I think as you get more senior, and once you're certainly a lieutenant colonel, uh, 
you're really not supposed to be doing things so much as planning, thinking ahead, having a vision for an organization. And what I really believe is by the time you're a lieutenant colonel or a colonel, your chief function is to inspire those around you to want to stay in the JAG Corps and to really look for the captains and majors who we want to keep. Um, So I think, for example, when you're a staff judge advocate, and I was the staff judge advocate at Fort Gordon toward the end of my career, I think my principal goal was to make the office an enjoyable place for people to come to work and then identify those judge advocates who uh, we should keep on active duty for a career. So back to your question, um, when you're a company grade, early field grade, you're a doer. After that, you're a planner, you're a cheerleader, uh, and your focus should be on what should I do to make this a great workplace or a great office. And I think that's what I tried to do as a as a more senior field grade. And as you look back, reflect on your career, are there any assignments that you found particularly rewarding, those, those, those assignments that you reflect on fondly? And then on the flip side, are there any of those uh, assignments that were a little bit more challenging, uh, more difficult times for you? Well, I decided early on that the only reason to stay in the JAG Corps was because I wanted to be a staff judge advocate. I saw at Fort Benning early on in my first assignment that if you're the staff judge advocate, you are in control of your office, you have the vision, you get to shape it, take it where you want it to go. And I think when I finally was a staff judge advocate uh, as a colonel, um, this was probably the most rewarding and what I enjoyed doing the most. Certainly, it's an opportunity to be a leader, to be a manager, but you get to work with a convening authority, in this case, uh, a general uh, court-martial convening authority. The office, uh, of course, you run that too, but I think that's probably the most rewarding thing. And, And I would still say that, by and large, I would hope that judge advocates who decide to make it a career are doing it because they want to be staff judge advocates. As far as another job uh, that was certainly challenging, significant, exciting, exhilarating, and something that I hated was being the chief prosecutor for the terrorists at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. It's an important job. I was the first chief prosecutor, as some of you know, uh, 2003-2004, but it was a really, really difficult job, and in the end, I hated it. But having said that, um, I've moved on. I had 25 years as an active duty judge advocate. If I had it to do all over again, I wouldn't change a thing, good and bad. Uh, look, as as a, a more junior uh, officer said to me about a month ago, even the worst day in the JAG Corps is better than a day everywhere else. And I think that's absolutely true. And that's why I'm still here uh, as your historian uh, here at the Legal Center and School.
And what was that transition like for you? Did you find it difficult uh, when you transitioned from the military to a civilian role, or did you find it uh, rewarding, enjoyable? Actually, I I thought that it might be tough. Uh, I'd done 25 years in uniform, and uh, and when I retired, I actually did not stay here. I left for Raleigh, North Carolina, where I had been hired by the uh, chief judge at the Eastern District of North Carolina to be the clerk of court for the Eastern District. It was a huge job with a lot of responsibility. Um, I had responsibility for the courthouses, the federal courthouses in Raleigh, North Carolina, Fayetteville, Wilmington, Elizabeth City, uh, New Bern, um, and uh, maybe 40 deputy clerks. I thought it was going to be a tough transition, but it actually wasn't. And being a staff judge advocate prepared me well to be the clerk of court in the federal court and run the office. Um, the other thing that I that I learned very quickly, Captain Command, was if you were just an average or an above average leader in the Army, you're a superstar out in the civilian world. Uh, we just have so much more going for us when it comes in learning how to value people, to listen to people, uh, to respect people. Uh, it's really sort of so ingrained in us that I found when I retired and went into the civilian world that, hey, it wasn't that difficult. The only thing that was a bit of a struggle was I had to actually decide what I was going to wear every day <laughs> and whether or not the colors were going to match. Uh, but no, the transition was pretty easy. Um, and again, I left the job as the clerk of court after a year when the JAG Corps decided to hire a full-time uh, regimental historian. So some people think that uh, this job was created for me, but in fact it wasn't. I left, uh, and when I came back, I had to compete against uh, history PhDs for the job. And and this role now as, a, as the regimental historian, I, I feel like this role can be as big or as small as, as the individual historian wants it to be. So how have you shaped it and how do you see your role here as the historian? Well, initially when the position was created, I think that there were some in the JAG Corps who thought that this was a waste of a position uh, better to uh, have an attorney advisor position than a historian. But I think today that most members of the Corps recognize that we have a really fascinating and very rich uh, history. Unlike all the other services, uh, there have been lawyers uh, from the very beginning. Um, William Tudor was appointed as the first judge advocate in the Army in July of 1775. Uh, the Navy did not have a JAG Corps until uh, 1967. Uh, the Air Force obviously didn't until after World War II. The Coast Guard, the Marine Corps still don't have a JAG Corps. And whether that's right or wrong is not my point. My point is that we have a really rich history, nearly 250 years. So there are all sorts of really cool things to write about, military commissions, courts martial, how we came to do things the way we do today. So I think that 
by and large, um, through the Lore of the Corps articles that I write in the Army Lawyer and other publications, uh, that there's now really uh, an appreciation for our history. And I think it builds esprit de corps to talk about what judge advocates have done in the past and legal administrators and paralegals. So I've tried to shape our history and write about it, and I'm certain that the next uh, professor of legal history and leadership will do the same. Last question for you. I know this is a podcast devoted to history, but what does the future hold for Fred? Well, I I don't know. I'm going to continue, at least uh, for the time being, as the as the historian. Uh, but everybody has to go sometime. Um, I enlisted in the army 49 years ago, so I'm coming up on my half century. I think I will pass the half century mark without any problem. Um, but who knows what the future will bring? Uh, again. I hate to say you take every day as it comes, but uh, there's still lots of history to talk about, lots of podcasts to do. I think I'll at least be here as long as you're here, Captain Command. Deal. Deal, sir. Well, we appreciate it. Um, thanks for, for taking a se- second to talk about yourself today. Uh, we know we could not do any of these podcasts without your wealth of knowledge and uh, your in- in- inspiring voice to, to really captivate an audience across all of our, our episodes and across all of the articles that you publish. So thanks and uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and, and your family. Well, thank you. And we'll see you on the podcast next year in 2022. That's right. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn at JAGFCD. Or visit our website at tjaglix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. We're always on the lookout for the next guest, topic, discussion, or yes, even the next Fred Talk. As always, the views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the United States Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the United States government. Reference in this episode to any specific commercial product, process, or service, or the use of any trade, firm, or corporation name is for the information and convenience of the public and does not constitute endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the Department of Defense. Remember that you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So thank you for joining us today. For the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate, I am Captain Justin Command. We'll catch you on the next episode of Fred Talks. <laughs>